Welcome to The Effective Lawyer, a podcast for ambitious attorneys who want to improve their practice. My name is Jack Zenda, and I'll be your host. Today, we're going to talk about making the switch from the defense to the plaintiff side. This isn't an easy decision, and I've seen a lot of attorneys that have struggled to make the transition. And so today I wanted to talk about what are the pros and cons of doing that and how to actually go about making a successful transition if that's the direction you want to take your career. And tell me if this discussion today is one of uh, our best trial lawyers, and I think one of the best trial lawyers in the country, Neil Solomon. Neil's a, a partner at our firm's in the law group. He's a member of the American Association for Justice, has been recognized by Super Lawyers as a rising star for several years. He's a member of the Texas Trial Lawyer Association, the Multi-Million Dollar Advocates Forum, and a member of the Academy of Truck Accident Attorneys. Uh, Neil has handled dozens of catastrophic injury and wrongful death cases throughout the United States, including gas explosions, premise liability, truck accidents, and a variety of other cases. And I personally have worked with Neil in dozens of cases over the years. And most importantly for this conversation today, prior to joining Zindala Group, Neil worked at a preeminent defense firm and has made, I think what we could all say is a very successful transition to the plaintiff side. So welcome, Neil. Thanks. I think jury's still out, Jack. I don't know about uh, about that yet, but I'd say overall pretty successful. Well, I wanted to throw you a bone. I appreciate that. It's a good place to start. You know, talk a little bit about your career and when you first decided you wanted to be an attorney. You know, I grew up in Houston, Texas, uh, and there, um, when I was um, pretty small, my dad actually uh, went to law school himself, so he was an attorney. So growing up, I got to see that in his practice, uh, and for the most part, he was actually a defense attorney, uh, doing mainly um, civil litigation cases, kind of like the other side of what we're doing here today. Um, so I saw him doing that. Uh, originally thought, I'm not sure I want to be an attorney, and when I was in college, um, I took a business law class, really enjoyed it, thought I did well at it, and eventually uh, actually worked with a professor as a, as a teaching assistant for a couple semesters. So did that and saw that I really liked the law. Maybe not necessarily business. We'll see if I went that route, but definitely wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, like every trial lawyer, watching some law and order uh, during law school or during college as well, pushed me over the edge to go be a trial lawyer. And you went to uh, some pretty easy schools, right? What was the, the first school you went to? Yeah, I went to University of Texas at Austin, uh, Longhorn, four years there, uh, and then I uh, went to Emory for a law school in Atlanta. So did that for three years and then uh, came back to Texas uh, right after that. Well, and so when you first came out, uh, did you know you wanted to be a trial lawyer? I knew I wanted to be a trial lawyer, so I at least cut the law jobs down in half. I didn't want to do transactional, didn't want to do something else. Um, I knew that I at least wanted to get in the courtroom and be a trial lawyer. Um, and at that time, I got out of school. It was 2011. Um, I think uh, at that time, the, the market wasn't great for, for any lawyers coming out in a lot of different professions. And at that time, just looking for a job and had law, law school loans and was looking for something to do uh, and was, was lucky enough to find a spot working as a, a litigator at a mainly uh, insurance defense and, and self-insured corporation defense work. Well, I remember when I came out of law school, I got my first student loan invoice and my jaw hit the ground. I was like, holy cow, I need to get to work fast if I'm going to pay this. That was the thought. Got to pay the bills. So I hit the ground and um, my now wife had gotten a job in Texas and in Austin, actually. Uh, And so I I hit the pavement in Austin and, and luckily found something not 
within about, I think, six weeks post getting bar results. I don't know if you found this in law school. I kind of felt like there was a little bit of a negative bias towards uh, plaintiff's lawyers, especially personal injury lawyers. And, you know, Baylor was a little different because there had been a lot of successful plaintiff's lawyers from there. But talking to other folks, it seems like most law schools try to push the attorneys towards corporate or towards big law. Did you find that the case? Yeah, I, I think that'd definitely be the case. And I think I probably saw that at Emory as well. I don't really see them ever or recall ever actually uh, having them bring that in or, or pushing that as I don't say an agenda, but um, we didn't see that too much. And so there's definitely a bigger push for there's a, a business kind of uh, track you could take for, for corporate side. Uh, and then separately, they did actually at least have a you know litigation trial techniques program that they required all students to do. Uh, it's not the the Baylor practice court that I've heard so much about, but it was a, a good boot camp at the end of uh, one of our years to to go over it and they required every student to do it that I thought was probably useful for everyone to at least see. Uh, but back to your original question, no, they didn't really push for for uh, or kind of show much exposure for for plaintiffs lawyers for sure. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is not from any nefarious reasons. I think one, we tend to be cowboys and want to do our own thing. And so we're not necessarily out there trying to be involved with, you know, teaching at law schools. And I think number two, a lot of the professors come from big law background or judicial background because they're very brilliant academics uh, and maybe didn't have that plaintiff's law experience. But I'd like to see that more in law schools because I think there's a lot of people that miss out on their calling because they're so married to, you know, big law or corporate litigation focus. No, I think you're right. I think it also goes back to... Um, something we talk about all the time of making sure that we're uh, kind of educating the public and everyone about what we do and how helpful and um, good it can be for the community and how enriching it can be as a career. Uh, And I don't think they really portray that in law school whatsoever. Uh, And so instead of just having kind of whatever stigma someone may think about it and actually getting real people in to talk would be, would be great. This podcast is presented by Zinda Law Group. ZLG is a plaintiff's personal injury law firm made up of over 30 lawyers who handle catastrophic personal injury and wrongful death cases throughout the United States. The 30-plus experienced attorneys at Zinda Law Group regularly co-counsel and joint venture with firms across the country. Over the last several years, we have paid out millions of dollars in fees to law firms we work with. To learn more about partnering with Zinda Law Group, go to zdfirm.com slash partner. Well, tell me, uh, so when did you first make a decision that you may want to switch sides from defense to plaintiffs? So I worked at, at one firm and at that first firm, um, they took on a handful of, of personal injury cases. And so um, the good news is, is that they got to put that on my plate. So I got a little taste of, of helping out a few people that uh, on these kind of one-off plaintiff's cases and saw that, you know, I enjoyed that work. You're actually working with people and um, going through that process. Uh, and so it was after about a couple of years, I'd switched firms and realized that the defense life wasn't for me. Um, and it actually was a couple of different uh, plaintiff's attorneys who I was working against uh, that reached out that said, you know, talking with you and, and seeing your skill set, I think that you may be on the wrong side. Have you thought about being a plaintiff's attorney? And uh, after a couple of years, I'd thought more and more about it and thought that that was probably the right answer. So I talked to a couple of different uh, attorneys that I I met that did the work. And at that point said, okay, I'll find somewhere to go. You know, and I find 
uh, attorneys that make this successful switch, it seems to always be about uh, the clients. And it seems that story is very common. They worked on one or two plaintiff's cases and they just really enjoyed helping people. I find rarely is it about the money, you know, because you make good money on both sides. It tends to be who has that interest and really focused on helping individuals. Yeah, I think for kind of goes both ways. So, you know, on not only the, you know, getting to work on the case on the plaintiff side, but even walking in on the defense side. So I'm walking into a room and my job every single day is to walk into a room, go into a deposition. And even if you're not overtly saying it, trying to find a way why that person's a liar, they're faking it, they're not really that injured and they don't deserve compensation for what they've been through. And I would leave these depositions feeling terrible for these people that I just took a deposition of or I'm going up against. And I'm just thinking, man, I'd feel a lot better if I was on the other side of the table. So at that point uh, was kind of when it finally hit me of, okay, there, there's definitely a way to get to the other side. I just got to go do it. And let's put a pin in uh, some of the tactics that you use on the defense side so we can share that with some of our friends here in a minute. But let's when you first made the move to our firm, what was kind of the mindset switch like? Were there things that you remember were difficult to make a switch mindset wise? Um, you know, I think some of the things were, were useful because I was able to kind of look at how it was being approached or the kind of the way that a defense attorney or adjuster might be looking at a particular case. Um, but I think just also kind of getting rid of some of those um, probably biases that I had built in over time of just listening to other attorneys who are supervisors or bosses or uh, adjusters for that matter, uh, and then talking a certain way about plaintiff's attorneys or injured individuals. And so kind of making sure to, it was, I think, pretty easy for me to drop that, but um, kind of getting that out. Um, and then also, instead of looking at why something is wrong, kind of looking at why it can be right. Um, I don't know if that makes sense necessarily, but trying to look at the client, listen to their story uh, and show how we can make it to be true. No, I completely agree. I think on our side, we're trying to uh, tell a story that's compelling. And on the defense side, you're trying to break down and destroy a story. And so it's a two different parts of the brain. And I find a lot of attorneys that start off on the defense side make great plaintiff's lawyers because they see the holes in the case and they don't drink their own Kool-Aid or they don't buy in too much into a case. They kind of come at it skeptically. And then if you can overcome that skepticism, you know, you have a great case. Yeah, I think that that definitely could be helpful. And then all the way down to just the value of a case. And so for however many years I'm listening to, you know, whatever insurance adjuster or somebody else telling you the, the value of a case and almost, uh, I don't say beating it down, but kind of going that route versus believing in the case and knowing what it, it can and is worth uh, because you know the client, you know the story, you can tell a jury later on. What about, you know, on our side, we typically get hired pretty early on in the process, you know, something bad happened and we get a call pretty quickly. Was that difficult? Well, I guess first, what's it like on the defense side? When do you typically get a call on the defense side to start working on a case? So it actually mixes a little bit. So um, at both of the firms, um, they had worked for um, either insurance companies or companies that would call them the day of a wreck. Hey, there was a wreck going on, um, you know, in this part of town, can you go out there and go take photos or go meet somewhere? Uh, I know I went out to a scene the day after uh, a case where uh, a woman was was tragically killed 
um, outside of a bus stop. So went out to go talk to people taking that same bus the next day. So there are a lot of firms that get out there and um, are reacting quickly, but that's probably more the minority. I'd say probably, you know, 90% of the cases that we get uh, are only once a lawsuit has been filed. It's been handled through their lit- pre-litigation department, through their adjuster. And then you get, you know, once a, a lawsuit's been filed, you then get the case and, and whatever else until you have an answer due by this date. Well, one thing I love about what we do is we get to pick our clients. And I think our firm gives the attorneys here a lot of uh, leeway to reject cases they don't believe in. Was it tough to get used to evaluating cases and decide what are good ones or, or bad ones? Um, it took a little bit of time to figure that piece out. And I think over time, even kind of uh, our own evaluation of what that makes sense for us and our firm and what we put into it uh, as to the case. But uh, it did take a little bit to figure that piece out. Obviously, you know, um, there are some cases everybody knows immediately as soon as they call in. That's a good one we want. Um, but trying to figure out which ones we can, which people we can help out and which would be better suited for somebody else. What are some books or CLEs that you read or watched that help you get ingrained in the practice? Because I feel like, um, and not to say anything negative about what defense lawyers do, but I feel like we have to handle about 60 to 70% more than they do. And, and there's a lot to learn and kind of get used to our ecosystem. So were there books or CLEs that you found particularly helpful? You know, I think a big part of what I like about the, the plaintiff's practice, and I, and I will get back to your question, is the... Um, kind of uh, the, the, the brotherhood of it, if you will, of, you know, everyone is trying to help each other out. They're trying to share what they do, kind of rising tide lifts all boats. Um, whereas I do feel that uh, a lot of times it can be more fractured on the defense side and they're not as open and sharing about kind of how they handle it. But um, with that, you know, when I first started, um, you know, there's kind of required reading that um, came in the door. And so obviously Rules of the Road is a great one. Uh, Reptile, um, just learning about that. Um, you know, ball on damages three are kind of some of the first ones that came in. And over time, you know, kept going from there. Um, Don't Eat the Bruises by Mitnick is a really good one that I like. There's a lot of good tact- uh, tactics and tricks in there. I, I think you brought up a really good point about uh, the sense of community on the plaintiff side. And I think if you start practicing plaintiff's law, either from another practice area or from the defense, I really think it's important to join a trial lawyers association either a local city one or statewide or AAJ, because man, when I figured out that TTLA existed and I got on their listserv, it was like adding rocket fuel to my practice. I just could not believe there was this place where people would answer any dumb question I had at any time of the day. And it's just such a giving uh, community. Yep. Anytime it's a, it's a new issue, it's probably not a new issue for somebody else. And so it's a really great place to look and see and, um, get feedback from. What about, you know, I, I know that we typically get paid different than defense lawyers. It's usually pretty steady salary. And, you know, on the plaintiff side, uh, we're typically more driven by bonuses and things like that. Was that a difficult decision to make? Did you do anything special to prepare for that mindset or were you ready to go? Um, you know, this is another reason why I enjoy being on the plaintiff's practice. It, it much more fits my mindset. And uh, I'm a bit more of a gambler, so I'd rather bet on myself and, and go have that, that kind of carrot in front of me to go get it. Um, so it was less of an issue there. It's still, I'll be honest, still a little scary because the steady paycheck, and I see it with any person that is switching, of kind of being prepared to do that. You don't know what's ahead. Um, but no, I, at that point, I was ready to go kind of take a leap and see what would happen and, and don't regret it at all. So, 
You know, and, and what I would do if, if I'm thinking about making a switch to from either a different practice area or from a different, you know, area like defense is make a list of the characteristics that you think it requires. You know, I do think there's a level of risk tolerance that you need to have as a personal injury lawyer. Um, and over time, it gets easier because you start realizing it's not as risky as you thought in the beginning because you get really good at evaluating cases. Um, I think our firm, once we get past the initial evaluation stage, about 98% end up in a positive resolution for the client. Um, but at first, it's very scary. And especially if you're making the shift to opening your own practice, you've got to be prepared to withstand some of those headwinds. Um, we've had a couple defense lawyers that tried to make the switch and they just could not overcome that aspect of it, which, which makes it difficult. Yeah. And when I was talking to people originally, um, part of what uh, was discussed, it's, you know, do you want you can start your own practice? Cause it, it's, it actually does seem to, to fit even more so, um, on the plaintiff side, or you can start your own practice, uh, with pretty minimal upstart, especially now, uh, versus joining a firm. Uh, and so at that point, it made sense for me to join a firm and, and kind of have that that built in uh, setup ready to go. Yeah. And I think especially it's like it, it, when you open your own practice, you have to be considering, do I have the money for case expenses and do I have the money to, you know, withstand 12 months of not getting paid? We had an hourly practice that was a good buffer for that in the beginning. So that's another tip. If you're considering starting your own practice, you know, consider teaming up with someone who does hourly at first to give you a little bit of a buffer for those down months. Cause it takes a while to get that windmill going of having enough cases to hit consistently. Um, what are some of the things that you think might make someone a bad fit to join the plaintiff side from the descendant side? Are there any things you think about like characteristics, not they're a bad person, but you know, maybe someone is excited about the idea and they should maybe second guess it or think about it again. You know, I think some of the things you already hit on, right? So I think kind of having that mindset of, um, you know, just because you most recently said it, uh, not that it's most important, but having that mindset of willing to, to kind of bet on yourself and um, uh, have that risk tolerance a little bit to, to deal with some ebbs and flows, because almost in any practice, there'll at least be some. Uh, and then I think even more so, it's, um, you know, I would say conservative is the right word, but it, you can be more um defense oriented uh, is just kind of the best way to put it. And so if you find yourself looking at a case and finding yourself believing in the defense or thinking that, you know, every person's exaggerating to, to cheat the system, then you're probably not the best person to be helping that person out. And so you're better suited being that zealous advocate for that insurance company. Um, I, you know, it, it wasn't for me and, and I don't continue to want to do that, but I think there are some people that it's just a better fit for them. You know, and one thing you can do is, you know, talk to your partner or if you have your own firm and you're doing defense work, experiment, take a couple of plaintiff's cases to see if you like it. The other test that I, I'm in, trying to figure out how to articulate better is, you know, do you enjoy being around people at all work, walks of life? And I don't mean can you pretend that you enjoy it, but do you genuinely in your heart of hearts feel comfortable going into anybody's living room from any socioeconomic class, sitting down? having dinner with them and enjoying it because most people can fake it. But I find what makes someone a great plaintiff's lawyer is they really enjoy people no matter what part they're coming from. And I don't think there's anything wrong with people that want to deal with just business folks wearing suits all day. I think that's one mindset that doesn't make you a bad person, but you have to be comfortable with that. You know, we do a lot of things that 
might be considered fun or might also be considered something you would never want to do. For example, you know, going to a scene where a wreck happens, you know, in blue jeans, gloves and boots to figure out what occurred, um, driving seven hours to sign up a client because it's a big case and you need to make sure that your firm gets the case, which you don't have to worry about on the defense side. And that's just part of the game. And if you don't enjoy that or could see yourself at least, you know, someone enjoying it, I think it makes it very difficult to fake it for a career. Yeah. And I think going with that of just getting the actual, I think it helps kind of take away the monotony of the day and getting to talk to clients and getting to know their story. And I think having that piece that, uh, you know, much more real connection with the person and getting to actually kind of hand them that check at the end that, that hopefully is making a difference in their life for what they've been through. Um, you know, that's what helps kind of, that's what helps move the needle for me. Well, let's get into some of the, the tactics that, uh, you know, defense lawyers use. So maybe we could give that to some of uh, other attorneys listening and, and talk through how things work on that side of the V. So let's start off with just the dynamic. When you get a case, who are you talking to? Who's the person calling the shots? You know, my understanding is it's not the client, it's typically someone else. So how does that work? Yeah. So, um, you know, if it's through an insurance company, which, you know, 90% of the time or more it is, um, there's an adjuster that's assigned the claims file or a claims examiner or whatever title or term they're given at that time. Uh, and that's the person that you'll generally be dealing with. Um, so they'll be sending you your file. You'll do your report, turn it in and, and kind of give them a, an evaluation of the case and uh, what you're expected to do, expected budget for, for the case moving forward and a general evaluation to start. Uh, and so you'll kind of be doing that and providing reports on whatever basis may be required, whether it's monthly or, or quarterly or whatever it may be. Um, but generally every month or so, you're sending them some kind of update about what's going on with the case, what you want to do and how things are going. What, uh, what's the information flow like? How involved, well, I guess, how much does the adjuster share with you with what they're thinking and, and how much are going back to them or is it pretty isolated? You know, it really depends on the adjuster. I've had some that are, they kind of like being part of the team and they're collaborative and, you know, you walk into a mediation and, hey, this is what we have today. Let's work together. And others that just close to the vest, you sit in your evaluation, you show up the same day and then you have to literally look over, ask them, OK, what's our next move? They tell you how much more money to put on the table and you're literally just kind of the go between for, for that day. So it's 100 percent dependent upon who's there and the relationship and you know, different attorneys have different relationships with their carriers, and uh, sometimes they build up a lot of trust. Other times it's uh, a brand new attorney through captive counsel, and, and they're just, you know, uh, going around it, if anything. So it really just depends on what's going on. What are some of the ways that a plaintiff's lawyer might be able to take advantage of that strange situation where you have an adjuster, a client, and defense lawyer to maximize a case result for the client? Did you ever see examples where plaintiff's lawyers did a good job of that? I've always been of the the general ilk of um, you do better when you know you you have a good relationship with opposing counsel. And so when I was on the defense side, and, and some plaintiff's attorney came in and was unreasonable or, or throwing uh, grenades at me nonstop or whatever it was, I mean, I wasn't likely to do them any favors on my write up or, or my talking to any adjuster. And so um, you know, I think it really just depends on the case. Uh, and, and sometimes your best ally could be that defense attorney who's working with them and can help 
help out to see what the adjuster needs or wants for their file or for their write-up or whatever it may be. No, and I completely agree. I would much rather have a good defense lawyer on the other side that knows how to handle a case because then they're going to evaluate it properly. Um, we just had our firm happy hour and I think, you know, a 20% of the people there were defense lawyers because we have good relationships with them. They know we're going to, you know, be firm and tough, but not, you know, jerks. Yeah. I think that's a hundred percent the, the attitude. It's like, here's what I need to happen. You didn't respond. Uh, I'm going to file this motion and it still may be a motion to bill. I may ask for attorney's fees. I may ask for sanctions. Right. Uh, but I gave you all these opportunities to do what, what we talked about or what I requested to do ahead of time. And so just kind of laying that out. And I don't think any other attorney, um, you know, as long as you're staying above the belt, no one's going to take it personally for, for doing so. What about um, how does who the plaintiff's lawyer is impact how the adjuster evaluates the case? Or, or was that discussed? Does the adjuster tell you those things or is it kind of like they keep that isolated? So generally speaking, they're going to put in their report to the adjuster. Hey, this is the attorney. This is their firm and this is our evaluation of them. And so, you know, these are the types of cases they have. This is what they do. Um, you know, these are their tactics, um, all those different things might be in there, uh, or at least some general impression of them. Um, so all those things go into it. Um, and, and that's kind of what I know about that. So I, like you said, there is this bit of a, there's a wall, right? So I don't, I don't go behind the, the, uh, the wizard's, uh, fence or whatever it is and, and find I out. I think it was a curtain. A curtain. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank the glass you. wall of I'm the wizard in my mind. Uh, the wizard's <laughs> curtain. Neil has a, a newborn at home. He's got three kids, so we're lucky we got him in here. He's got like twelve cups of coffee in front of him. He looks like a, a wreck. I mean, just a mess of a human being. So I just appreciate you being here. You bet. Three kids, three <laughs> kids four and under, plus full time job. It keeps you busy. So, and your wife's a successful appellate lawyer. She is. She is. I'm excited. I'm gonna go see her arguing the Fifth Circuit coming up. Um. Well, what about like at mediations? I've always wondered what that dynamic is like. You know, we always hear, oh, you know, the defense lawyer either has the adjuster or doesn't. I've even had mediations where the adjuster is in a different room than the defense lawyer. You know, what's that dynamic like when you're sitting in mediation um, with the defense lawyer and the adjuster? Yeah. So I think, you know, a decent you know tip to find out is if you can find out who the adjuster is that's coming on the day of um, or ahead of time, I should say. So, you know, it's a real adjuster. Because um, you find a lot of the time, especially it would be, um, you know, now it's more Zoom mediations um, that are happening a lot now. But um, especially when it's in person, if you're somewhere, uh, if that adjuster's from out of town, they may just hire someone local so they don't have to travel. And it's just a person with a jacket on that's sitting there at the table. And there's always this great story recently. I was at mediation and uh, um, I was on the plaintiff's side, but the defense attorney had asked, uh, or the, the mediator, um, all right, let me start that over again. The uh, defense attorney walked out of the room to go get some from the other room. So the adjuster's sitting in there and it's an opening and the guy forgot in his court or something. So I gave my presentation, sitting there with my client, the mediator's there and the defense attorney leaves. And so the mediator just says to make conversation with the adjuster. So uh, who's, the, who's the carrier here today? And the person literally had just no idea what to say starts fumbling <laughs> through her notes and goes uh I, actually i'm not sure i think that's in the other room and so at that point you know this person's just sitting there because they're required to bring somebody and you know we still got the case resolved the attorney had the person uh, around to, to get um the proper authority there but 
it's good to know ahead of time who, who's going to be there. No, I completely agree. Well, uh, Neil, I appreciate you giving us so much time today, especially with how busy you are. What would be, you know, one or three final tips you would give someone who's considering making the switch from plaintiffs to, or from defense to plaintiffs? Yeah. So I think the biggest, um, recommendation I would make, and it's what I eventually did was, you know, go to lunch, go, go to coffee, go get a drink with a couple other attorneys that do this type of work on the other side. Um, and generally speaking, if you're on the, if you're switching from defense to plaintiff, you probably know a couple of the attorneys on the other side of the bar and have a frank discussion with them. Someone you trust about your thoughts about thinking about it. Um, and if you have not even in this practice area, just go reach out to someone that does this type of practice. And, uh, generally people are going to be extremely generous with their time, give you a few minutes, a phone call, something, and, um, try to kind of walk through what that looks like. And if it sounds good to you. And if someone wants to get a hold of you to, to pick your brand on either a case or about this topic, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, feel free to reach out. You can reach me directly, neil at zindalaw.com, N-E-I-L. Uh, I'm happy to, to talk with anybody about it. I get um, Brandon people will will reach out, and I'm happy to try to, to get together and, and talk about it. Well, Neil, thank you so much, my friend. Good seeing you. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Effective Lawyer. You can learn more about our team and download other episodes of this podcast at zdfirm.com.